Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls, step right up. Behind this curtain lies a ghastly concoction of delight, horror, fantasy, and terror. Your every wish is our command. Your every whimsical desire brought to life. But I'm warning you, there's always a fright. Welcome to the greatest Welcome once again, Talking Terror fans nationwide and worldwide. We rise tonight, boils and ghouls, because it is our night. It is Halloween night, boys and girls. Hope you're finished up with your trick-or-treating. Hope you're relaxing with some crunch bars, some Milky Ways, some gobstoppers, whatever you got in your bag, because we're back with a Halloween edition of Talking Terror. It is just me, your old pal, King Horror, Andy G, and the bold and the beautiful Ghoul Geek, Warhammer Keith. Hello, everybody. What is going on? We are so happy that you're joining us for this very special edition of Talking Terror. We are not going to be joined by the monkey or the doc tonight as they are doing their own Halloween festivities, possibly together, possibly separate. We don't know. Let the gossip fly. So it's just the ghoul and I. Uh, We're going to be talking about uh, Sleepy Hollow from 1999, directed by uh, Tim Burton. And honestly, that's a good pick, Ghoul, because I think what better way to get in that spirit of Halloween as the night rolls down than the classic tale of the Headless Horse. Well, indeed, indeed, man. You know, I know originally that uh, that you had uh, struck me on Sunday to, to get a pick in because I hadn't chosen, and originally I just went. But the first thing that came to mind as I as I sat there on the couch recovering from the uh, the previous night's entertainment and uh, just said, Slaughter, hi. And then uh, after watching a little bit of Slaughter High, I realized that it would just not be the right pick for a Halloween episode. And uh, no, definitely uh, Sleepy Hollow is the way to go. You know, I know we, we tittered around some other things, but yeah, it's a classic Halloween-style tale. Uh, definitely uh, fit, fit the bill for this evening. Yeah, you definitely had a lot of uh, good picks, a lot of good ideas. But I was kind of glad that you settled on Sleepy Hollow because it's kind of going off the beaten path. Uh, for us on the show, we talk about a lot of slashers. We talk a lot of zombies, uh, you know, some weirdness. Like with Mandy, we covered two weeks ago. So to kind of go back to a more gothic sensibility with a film pick, I think it'll be interesting once we get into it later on in the show. Indeed, indeed. And, uh, you know, a blessed Samhain to all those out there who uh, who celebrate, you know, in those faiths and everything. Uh, you know, I hope uh, everybody's out there having a – a good time tonight, and you know, may their uh, their festivities all be grand. Absolutely, a blessed Samhain to all of you, and hail Satan to all my Satanists out there who are also enjoying the holiday. We see you guys. We see what you're doing. We love it. Love it here over on Talking Terror. Glad to have you on. Awful mess. Uh, oh yeah, but we're gonna get into a whole lot of that. Oh, hold on, I think the doc is actually calling in just to kind of give us a, a happy Halloween. We'll see what he has to say. Doc. Hello, sir. You are on the air. Hello. Who is joining us this evening? You picking me up? Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I thought this was the doctor. It's actually the monkey instead. So, monkey, hello. 
Hello, just wanted to call and say happy Halloween to my horror family. Uh, happy Halloween to you, King. Uh, happy Halloween to you, Ghoul. <laughs> what up, hope monkey? you guys are having a great time. Yay, what's up, Ghoul? Yeah, the, the diva and I just got in from trick-or-treating, you know, or at least going out and watching all the kids run around. It's cool to see the costumes change every year. Uh, get ready to do my costume shindig in just a minute, hopefully. And then, then we'll be cracking over a couple beers and watching Trick or Treat. But, yeah. Mm, just, very uh, nice. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> but, yeah, just real quick, you know, before you guys got into the show, just wanted to say happy Halloween to my heart family and happy Halloween to everyone who's listening. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much for calling in, Monkey. We hope you enjoyed the rest of your night and Trick or Treat and beers. Well, what was your costume, Monkey? I dress up as Jason Voorhees. Oh, very cool. What? Which? Which variation? Um, jeans and brown jacket. So like a Freddy versus Jason, Jason, uh, you know, remake kind of Jason. Jacket, yeah. jeans. Yeah, th- yeah. This was one that like I didn't buy. I made it from scratch. So you know, I was just mm-hmm. trying to piece together as best I could. But you know, it's. Close to the latest incarnation, you know, but at the same time, this is just me, and, I, I, you know, I draw. I don't do <laughs> building very well. So, but, hey, it did its job. It had, all, you know, it was cool to actually be, like, an adult walking around tonight and having a whole bunch of kids, you know, just yelling and pointing, it's Jason, it's Jason, with my, you know, mm-hmm. tiny, you know my, my tiny five-foot, eight-inch ass, you know. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll take you, man. That's cool. <laughs> I'm the same height as you guys, but I can still kill you. Give <laughs> <laughs> me a little shit. That was great. That's so great. Well, thank you so much again, Monkey. I'm glad that you had a good Halloween dressing up like Jason. And uh, thank you so much for calling in. We'll see you back here next week for another round. Absolutely. Have a great show tonight, fellas. Thank you, sir. Peace. All right. Later. Yeah, that's the problem I have when he calls in because it's you have to go by the area codes in the dashboard, and I always get him confused with the doc because they have very similar area codes. So, I don't know. Mix it up. But either way, that was the, the mm-hmm. Mad Monkey himself enjoying Halloween tonight. Do, do you mean the, the doc isn't 619? <laughs> no, he's not, surprisingly enough, because he uses a <laughs> Google number. So the Google number just, I don't know, just picks a weird eight-something area code, and I'm like, ah, all right, whatever. Or he calls in with the 732 Jersey one. So I never know which one he's going to be calling from. <laughs> so gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So how was trick-or-treating for you? I know you went out earlier with uh, Sammy and the ghoul girl. Yeah, indeed. Uh, you know, I uh, for the, the past weekend, we me and uh, my boy, who just turned 20, um, you know, we had gone to a Mo show for their Halloween show. So for that, I had grabbed us some costumes. It was a video game theme, uh, a night at the arcade, so to speak. Uh, so, of course, everybody was going to be in video game style garb. So I grabbed uh, some stuff out of, uh, you know, the, the local spirit of Halloween, co- you know, cobbled together some, some shit out of their clearance rack. And we went as Warcraft characters. Um and had a, a grand old time, you know, the band for all of their songs that they played intermingled classic video game themes into said songs. So, you know, as they played like Fra, uh, as they played their their song Buster, 
all of a sudden you could hear the theme song from Frogger get involved hmm. into it, and they continued to do that throughout the night. Um, a lot of fun, fantastic time, and you know, one of one of the the more fun experiences I've had in Philly, which is great. I know I've uh, complained about that in the past on this show, so uh, yeah. Philly did us well. They did us right that night. Uh, but I took said costumes home and decided to combine them for this evening. And uh, yes, I, I strutted around in the Stormwind armor set, but with a gigantic orc head, you know, on on my my noggin, which is a uh, is definitely a labor of love to put these things on and walk around and, you know, have them squeeze in your head. You're sweating bullets. You got all kinds of fog and shit going on in your face. Oh, excuse me. That coffee just came up real weird. Oh. Um, but, uh, but yes, you know, Samantha was a Fortnite character and the ghoul girl was her free flowing, witchy self that she is, you know, looking gorgeous. So, you know, it was definitely a, a lot of fun. Sam ended up with, I don't know, I think she just did a count. It was like 169 separate pieces of candy, uh, Ooh. all kinds of fun hijinks going on out there and kids walking around and, you know, because of the, because of what I had to do to frame the mask on my head, the, uh, the, the the thing that I have securing the mask to my face locks my jaw shut. So because oh. of that, it just kind of adds to the orcishness of the, the costume because all I can really do is grunt and groan. So as I'm walking around with my axe and a gigantic hammer in my hand, you know, I'm just... It's not even that I'm trying to do it, you know? It's just that's what happens if I actually try to talk. Just forced into doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it, it's man. A, it was great. Scaring the shit out of kids, man. It's always fun. It's a great costume. Great costume. I know that you posted a bunch of pictures of that costume. The mask looked really impressive. And, you know, once you put it on, it's like, wow. You know, really kind of sets you apart. You know, it makes you look like a real uh, orc. Even though it's an mm-hmm. ogre earlier, it's, it's orc. Sorry, I've got to correct myself. Told you, man. Ogres, not orcs. A gamer. Totally two Don't different species, that. man. You know, two totally different species. Like I said to you before, that would be like somebody saying that, you know, Jason Voorhees and Mike Myers are the same thing. Well, I mean, different masks, the same MO. Both want to kill, you know, but I don't know. If you showed me a picture of an orc and then an ogre, I don't know if I'd be able to tell them apart. You said, Michael, he got the white mask and then he got a hockey mask. It's like, ah, okay, well, I'll get to tell him. But I don't know. I, I I don't know if I'd be able to tell them apart, ogre and orc. That's, that's an ogre. Mike no, that's an Myers orc. and Jason Voorhees are so different from one another, man. One in the way that they kill, but two in the yeah. victims that they choose. Uh, well, I guess, in a way. I mean, they, they have different victims because of different situations. Um, but typically, it's teenagers. So, in that sense, they uh, are but, similar. But Jason slaughters indiscriminately he just kills whatever's in front of him at any given point whereas mike myers does not do that you know as we watch in halloween there are people that come into contact with him that he does not kill and then we see that again in halloween too where he'll run into people or pass by people and choose not to kill them something jason will not do (laughs) yeah i guess with uh with michael it's more so if you get in his way, you're going to get killed. 
but if you're just kind of staying on the sand, the sidelines, you're probably going to be okay. <laughs> you know, if you just yeah. don't get involved, you see him walking around town, just go in the opposite direction. You'll be fine. Like, you yeah. know, he, he's on a but track. I mean, case in point, Halloween two in the very beginning, when he walks into the house and steals the knife, he doesn't kill the old man and he doesn't kill the old lady. Which I thought you know, was weird. now there's weird perfect opportunity. He could easily do it, yeah. but he wasn't killing indiscriminately. You know, he kills the girl in the next one because she's busy on the phone chitter chattering or whatever for whatever reason. <laughs> but I don't, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, talk, well, talk you made to the Sally. case right there. You made the case right there, though. He doesn't kill Mr. Elrod or Mrs. Elrod. He just grabs the knife and walks away. He goes over to the next house and he just stabs the shit of that teenager. I was like, he just likes teenagers. <laughs> he just mm. he heard her talking on the phone, like he said. He's like, oh, teenager? Hell yeah. Gotta get me mm-hmm. some before I go to the hospital. <laughs> you know, doesn't make sense. teenage girl. It's trying to apply logic, you know, to these situations, which you try to. I mean, it's, it's like we talked about with the, the new Halloween movie that we kind of did spoilers for last week. But, yeah, he kills the kid for no reason in the car in the beginning when he breaks out of the bus. But yet when he has a chance to kill the baby, he doesn't. And I actually read an article by David Gordon Green, the director, who said, well, we wanted to show you that Michael had a little bit left of humanity in him. So that's why he didn't kill that baby. But it doesn't make any sense. Because then why he killed that kid? He didn't have to kill that kid. No reason to. Well, again, the, so, you know, he was already yeah. in the car. He, you know, if he's just taking the car through opportunity, he would have just yep. simply left in the car. So right. the fact that he sits there and waits for the kid to get back in the car, then kills the kid, then takes the car, doesn't make any sense. No, it really doesn't. And it's like I had said, it, you know, it might have been way too extreme uh, for them to kill a baby. But at the same time, you don't have to show it. You know, you can hear the baby crying one second and the next second you don't. And then Michael's moving mm-hmm. on. You know, it could have been done. But, you know, they, they, they dropped that opportunity if you ask me. But. To show that he has humanity for that baby, but not anybody else. He doesn't have humanity. Loomis makes that apparently clear in the beginning of the second one. I was just watching this last night. And, you know, Halloween 2 is one that I revisit very infrequently. You know, Mm -hmm. so so watching it almost every time I watch it, it's kind of like watching it for the first time again because there's just certain parts of it that I forget. So the fact that you got Loomis just yelling and screaming, he's not human. I shot him six times. He's not human. It's like, holy shit, Pleasant dude, relax, bro, relax. Well, that was Pleasant just acting. He's like, I need to act in this movie. Michael, he's like, I'm showing you how to act in this movie, ladies and gentlemen, putting you through a task, you know, and I watched it last night myself, and it it still holds up. I still love that second movie. Yeah, no, I definitely enjoy it. You know, we didn't get to finish it. Sam started getting tired, but, you know, it is funny that you say that about Donald Pleasance and, and the Sam Loomis character. She specifically, like, brought him up during... The, while watching it, and she's like, I like him. He's a really good character. You know, and then, you know, they mm. asked if he was still alive as an actor, and I'd said no. And, uh, you know, she was like, wow, and she goes, that's really sad because he's really good. Well, you know, yeah, so even she's really picking it up, and that's an eight year old, you know, like picking up uh, on, like, you know, the nuances of a specific type of character. Yeah, and, and she's right. You know, Donald Pleasance was a fantastic actor in every role that he did. He added a little bit something different to every role. I mean, one of my favorite movies that he did was back in 1971. He did an Australian movie called Wake and Fright, 
if you want to see Pleasance cranked up to a fucking 11, watch Wake and Fright. Because <laughs> he is fucking insane throughout this entire movie. Drinking booze, hitting people, making no sense. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. You want to see him cranked up, uh, try to find a copy of Wake and Fright. You won't be disappointed. Trust mm-hmm. me. It's so good. Sounds like a Friday night for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I wanted to talk a little TV horror because we don't do a lot of that uh, except for like The Walking Dead. Sometimes we get into that. Um, I've recently got into The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Uh, Ten episodes on Netflix. All the episodes are available. Uh, I'm in episode six right now, so I'm a little over halfway done. Um, And I'm so impressed with this series because it does take such a tonally dark turn uh, for Sabrina. Because people think about Melissa Joan Hart and how comedic that show was back in the 90s. And then you watch The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, and it's just all about Satan and Satanism and dark magic and just worshiping the devil. It's just, it, it takes so many dark turns. Uh, the actress that plays Sabrina is fantastic. Um, the cat Salem is in it, but it doesn't talk. It doesn't have the comedic voice of Nick Bacay from the series back in the 90s. Mm-hmm. It's just a shift-shifting cat which I adore. Um, but I know you said you watched the first episode. We got through almost the first episode, so I wanted to get what you thought uh, about uh, Sabrina, no. just on initial viewing. Uh, we, uh, we completed the first episode. We got halfway through the second. Uh, we, uh, we had put okay. it on last night while we were eating, and then you know we put it on, and then we both fell asleep. Not because of any, you know, anything to do with the show. It was just late. Um, we were really enjoying it. And, yes, it's definitely uh, taking a – like, I never read – yeah, I read Archie comics as a kid, especially, you know, whenever I'd be at, you know, the wall bombs or whatever with my mom and, you know, she's busy walking around collecting whatever food shit, you know, with the shopping cart. Right. What am I going to do? I'm over at the little comic stand, you know, grabbing whatever I could read um, and always ended up reading a lot of Archie stuff, but I uh, never really picked up on the Sabrina thing. Um you know, I know she had, like, little clips and snippets and every now and again interacted with the gang, but I never read any of her specific stuff, so I didn't really know anything about the actual comic. Um, fast forward into the 90s, and you had Sabrina the Teen Witch, you know, and I just assumed that that's basically what the, what the comic strip was. You know, perky little teenage girl, and she's got her shit-talking cat Salem, and that's just, you know, how I always pictured it. Uh, so when Netflix did announce this series and announced that they were going dark with it, you know, I, I figured it would be dark. But, yeah, they really shocked me with the fact that, yeah, it's definitely like, you know, a lot of Satan iconography and it is all about Satanism. I love the fact that Salem, you know, is, is her familiar. But unlike right. other people whose familiars are goblins that have taken the shape of whatever animal, you know, she actually chooses a bit of a darker style familiar and makes contact with a demon that, you know, she puts it out into the demon realm and this demon has come and has taken on the shape of the cat. And he's badass. There's that sequence in the, in the first episode in which, you know, she's in a bit of trouble and, mm-hmm. you know, Salem comes swooping in and it's, it's, you know, we don't, get to really see what he is at that point anyway. I don't know if anything's going to happen later, but uh, he's no joke. He's definitely not some smart-ass cat. He is uh, he's just a bad-ass character. And yeah, I've definitely been enjoying it. I feel like the actress, um, she definitely looks the role, you know, so she easily looks the part. I feel like she might have... Um, taken some cues as far as her performances from Allison Hannigan from mm-hmm. the uh, from the Buffy series. She speaks oh, okay. in a very similar manner 
And like mm-hmm. remember, I don't know if you watched any of Buffy, but like you know, like she oh, yeah, yeah. went witch. She went witch, you know, later in the yeah. series. And I feel like you know this is kind of like a bit of that kind of take on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely. Now that you mention it, it does have a kind of Allison Hannigan uh, kind of portrayal in a way. Um, and mm-hmm. I like the, the ants because, like I said, I go back to that show back in the '90s, and they were just kind of comedic relief. Um, you know, just kind of adding in this that they're witches, but this time. There's a little bit of the back and forth where you have uh, the one sister, Zelda. She's kind of darker, you know, a little bit more masterminding with the, the, you know, the school and everything and and worshiping Satan. Then you have the other sister, Hilda, who's – Yeah, and, you know, uh, Hilda is Lucy Davis, who was in Shaun of the Dead. She played Diane, who was the the Mm -hmm. person's friend. To the, the weird Harry I could Potter not put, guy. Thank you. I could not put the face to, to who it was. Like I kept looking at her and saying, I know who this is, and I couldn't figure it out. I know Miranda Otto from the, uh, the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. So, Yes, yeah. And then, then like I said, Lucy Davis, I knew her face. I knew who she was, but I was like, wow, I haven't seen her since 2004 in Shaun of the Dead. And I was like, here she is now. You know, a little heavier, but still has that kind of quirkiness, you know, that she had in Shaun of the uh, Dead. And I, I kind of like that back and forth. And the actress, you know, of course, that they put in to bring, I guess, as the bad guy, kind of, at least from what they're showing over so far. I don't know her name, but she was Missy, you know, the female version of the master from Doctor Who. And, you know, the second mm-hmm. I saw her, big smile on my face because I just know what that woman can bring to a show. She brought such a, a breath of just, like, awesome insanity to a very dry doctor um, in <laughs> yeah. Doctor Who. As, as Missy, so it is just fantastic to see her in something again. And yes, you know when she first, uh, you know, I, I, kind of a spoiler, I guess, when she dies at the, in the beginning of the, the first episode, I was like, don't tell me they brought her in just to do that. <laughs> no, yeah, it's, it's great because she's Madame Satan. You know, she's the you know the Satan's mistress in a way. You know, doing his bidding. Um, and I was also surprised to see Bronson Pinchot, fucking Balky. Perfect Stranger. Yes. Showing up as the principal. Which, uh, which the cool girl right. was like, holy shit, he got good looking. <laughs> I was like, wow. Like, I think of him as bulky from Perfect yeah. Strangers, and then I think of him from uh, from True Romance. <laughs> oh, yeah. Fucking all coked up in the Porsche, driving down the freeway with the highway or whatever. <laughs> yes. Yeah, see, I think of uh, Beverly Hills Cop, too, when he was in that movie. Mm. You know, as the guy that was trying to sell Axel all that shit. But, yeah. No, it, it was so great to see Bronson Pinchot again. Um, just, it, it was so great. And like I said, I'm only six episodes in. I got a couple more to go. But if you're a horror fan, there are so many references to horror movies that you're going to have a good time. Just seeing what they reference, not only in dialogue and what they're watching on TV, but some of the iconography that they use. Like in the, the school that they go to, there's a lot of stained glass, which is a reference to Suspiria. Um, they make references to Night of the Living Dead, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, Rosemary's they Baby. Clearly like, make one of those things, yeah. Mm-hmm. Clearly make references to Night of the Living Dead. So I mean, that's the movie they're going, that they're seeing at the very first episode. Oh yeah, yeah. And talking about zombies, um, one of the doctors is named Saperstein, which is a reference to mm-hmm. Rosemary's Baby. Which is like, yeah, if you're a hardcore fan, you're going to get these references. Like, you know, and it, it's genius the way that they kind of inject them in there. Um, and then, as most people know, this is a crossover with Riverdale, but there's no official announcement if they're going to make a crossover event with the CW show Riverdale and Sabrina. I think they're going to want to keep those they, two separate for now. They did drop the name, though. 
at one point. Um, yeah, there was a conversation yeah. in the first episode in which the one person says, oh, what are they, from Riverdale? Yes, and, and on Riverdale, they've mentioned Greendale a couple times about it being a haunted town, you know, where there's werewolves and shit like that, and you don't want to go there. So they've made references to Greendale on Riverdale as well. But as far as the crossover, um, probably never going to see it. Um, at least it's going to be Netflix and CW, but time will tell. But what I thought was interesting is that Lucien Greaves, who is the co-founder of the Satanic Temple in real life, is trying to sue Sabrina and the cast and crew for copyright infringement on the Baphomet statue that we see later on in the series that used at the school that Sabrina attends because he feels that they're just copying his copyrighted image and it's not a cool thing to do. And the internet blew up and started making fun of him saying, relax, pal. Like it's, what are you, kidding me? The Baphomet image has been around for centuries. You don't have a copyright to that. You know, so if you want to sue them, you could try, but don't see you winning that. So, yeah, I, I, I thought it was funny, and I wanted to get your take on that, because, you know, if, from that end, the Catholic Church should be suing everybody then. <laughs> from mm-hmm. churches and movies and cruci- crucifixes. I mean, there's dildos with the Jesus face on it now. You know, so the I mean, Catholic Church... If you look at it from that standpoint, uh, absolutely, you know, especially with the way it's sometimes portrayed. Um, I would think, if anything, you know, if they're, especially if they're treating it with reverence and respect, then I don't, you know, I, like I look at everything, you know, in pretty much just the standalone fact is, is that there's no such thing yeah. as bad press, you know. So right. if that statue is being shown in this show, you know, how many people are now going to be interested in maybe finding out more about that thing, you know, which maybe brings mm-hmm. attention to his church. And therefore, maybe you get some, some people that maybe are interested in finding out what Satanism is really about. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, to, to make a big stink about it, I guess, in a way, maybe it's just more press. If you think about it, you know, it's just getting it out there even more. And you, like you said, you would think that it would be a good thing for him you know, for Lucian Greaves to get more people interested in Satanic Temple, get more people interested in Satanism. So it's, it's only going to be bringing people to you, if anything, because they're going to be so interested in, in looking up that statue. So I wouldn't say anything. I'd like, great, do more. Well, no, but at the same time, him complaining about it is also bringing more attention to it. So he just might be working with what's getting put in front of him. You know what I'm saying? So it's not just a matter of him complaining about it because he's really pissed off about it. It may be a calculated complaint of complaining based on the fact that, hey, you know what? This is something that's going on right now. People are watching it. Let's let's just, you know, get our name out there a little bit. Yeah, because on the, the flip side of the coin, um, I don't I haven't gotten into this current season of uh, American Horror Story. I don't know if you have at all. Like, I don't know if you've watched yes, any of it. We're, we're complete, yeah, we're completely up, uh, up to date on it. So Okay. Okay. So I haven't. I haven't watched any of it yet. Um, but I do know one of the episodes, they did depict Anton LaVey, who was the founder of the mm-hmm. Church of Satan, sacrificing somebody by ripping out their heart. And like I said, I haven't seen it. And mm-hmm. I only read about what <laughs> they did. But to me, that to me is more egregious to do that because Anton LaVey didn't believe in sacrifices. He didn't believe in blood rituals. You know, he believed in, in just being a spiritual believer in Satanism. So, to me, I would think that the Church of Satan that he founded would have more reason to complain 
about American Horror Story and the way that they portrayed him. To me, Anton LaVey, if he was alive today, probably would have found it funny. But at the same time, it's kind of slander in a way, you know, to show you're a real-life person who was nothing like what they portrayed in the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, uh, again, I mean, I've been really, I, I don't know much about all of that stuff. That That's definitely more the ghoul girls uh, realm. Uh, yeah. For me, I try to avoid all organized religions. You know, I, I might learn a little bit about them here and there, but aside from that, it's uh, you know, I, I just want to know enough to to know whether or not I, I have any respect for them. Um, but yeah, yeah. Again, as far as the, the American Horror Story goes, I mean, just like you said with the, the Catholic Church, you know, how many things have been done within it that are offensive on that end. You know, yeah. I mean, if you really think about it, the majority of that show would be offensive to, to anybody that is a, you know, church-going Catholic. Um, yeah. As far as, you know, if they were true fundamentalist Christian types. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see where the complaint would be made. But you know what? They, there's no copyright on Anton LaVey and his 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 personality and the things that he did. Whereas, you know, otherwise this other guy has, you know, a specific copyright on this, this, this figure or this image of this figure, you know, I guess it's similar to when South Park did the whole, uh, you know, showing Muhammad and, uh, or not Muhammad, uh, Allah or whoever they showed. I think it was Muhammad. Muhammad. It was Muhammad. Muhammad. And, you know, all the, uh, the Islamic people had gotten up in arms about it because that's, you know, it's egregious to their religion to do something like that. And, you know, from from their standpoint, it's against their religion. But, you know, what, if it's not against the religion of somebody else, then, you, you know, especially in America, you're free to do it as long as it's, you know, if it's done in satire or if it's done for, you know, for characterization. Yeah, yeah. And, and like I said, if Anton LaVey was alive today, I think that he probably would have found it funny that they were parroting his character and, like, who he was because he was such a laid-back guy. Um, you know, he got kind of a bad rap because of being a Satanist. And, and that's, to me, Satanism isn't an organized religion. You know, I don't think it's like Catholicism or Christianity. I think being a Satanist, you're basically just saying, I want to be myself. Because I have the Satanic Bible. I've read it, you know, a couple times now. And it's, that's all it is. The Satanism is just saying, hey, you know what? I'm myself. I want to be myself. I don't want to restrict myself to any particular religion. And that's all it is. So, but it gets that bad connotation when you say Satanism. Satanism. Wouldn't that, like, Ooh, that's the same. Then what's the difference between that and being an atheist? There's little difference. Very little difference. I mean, essentially, Satanism is like a more glamorized version of atheism. That's all it is. You know, I mean, but the Satanic Church, they believe more in like mystical things, supernatural, magic, hexes, curses spells, that type of thing. Uh, Satanic Mm -hmm. temple believes more in science. So they believe if you can't scientifically prove something, then it doesn't exist. So they think that magic is stupid. You know, so I mean, I know know, atheism is the belief of no God or any kind of recognized religion. So, you know, I guess what Satanism, Satan replaces your God figure. Like, is it like just reverse Christianity essentially? No, there is no deity in Satanism. They don't believe in Satan. Okay. You know, as a, well, and like I said, so I, why I, do they call I follow it Satanism. Satanism. <laughs> just because it's basically mocking Christianity. It's basically putting a title to something. So you could be Christians, you could be Catholics, so we're going to call ourselves Satanists because we mm-hmm. you know, are adversaries of Christianity and Catholicism. So 
it, it's kind of just a mocking thing. It, it doesn't really have any kind of connotation to worshiping the devil. Because both Church of Satan and both uh, the Satanic Temple don't believe in Satan as a deity. They don't worship, you know, a god. You know, they just, you know, it's all about just being yourself, you know, and monitoring yourself and being respectful to others in the earth. You know, very kind of spiritual. You know, it's not like you have to go to a church and sit down and sit up in mass and shit. Like, you don't have to do any of that. <laughs> Be yourself, man. Hang out. Have fun. That's <laughs> really all Satanism is. It'd be more fun if they were ripping people's hearts out. It would be, and it would make more sense in the universe, but no, no, they're not about that. I mean, that's uh, strictly forbidden. Um, I like the fact that in Satanism, you know, you can't harm a woman, you know, you can't rape anybody, because if you rape somebody, you're, you're basically demonizing yourself. So they say, if a woman says no to you, then you can't attack her. And if you do, then you could be excommunicated from Satanism, because you're not a true Satanist if you do that. What are you talking about, man? We all know that no means yes, and yes means anal. Well, I guess. Depends on how you look at it. I mean, if you're in the Catholic Church, it might mean that. <laughs> but, you know, as far as Satanism, no. It's, you know, harm no children, harm no women, you know. And, I mean, it's it's a whole thing. I mean, I could make a whole episode well, just, about Satanism. Just kill men? I don't want yeah. No, no killing men either. But they also say that you shouldn't turn the other cheek if somebody does you wrong. So if somebody fucks you over, you have every right to go after them. You know, don't turn your other cheek and pretend like it never happened. If they fuck you over, you have every right to fuck them over, too. I'm going to fuck you over. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, like I said, I could go all night about Satanism. I don't want to make it a whole Satanism episode. I want to get back into some movie talk. So, uh, we talked last week about Robert Englund going on the Goldbergs and reprising his role as Freddy Krueger. It was great. It was only like a two-minute thing. But that also got the talks going again of, will he be Freddy Krueger one more time? Robert England said, maybe, you know, maybe I have one more in me. But you know who also is now really interested in returning back to the series? Heather Langenkamp, Nancy Thompson from Part 1, Part 3, and New Nightmare. Uh, she is very interested because of how successful Halloween was to make another one. So what do you think What a surprise. That? I think that's so shocking. Um, I think the Nancy character, you know, depending on which which film series you go with. I mean, if you go by Nightmare Timeline, is dead. Um, mm. And if you go by New Nightmare Timeline, well, it was all fake. Um, right. So I don't really know what you do with the Nancy character at this point. I mean, is is, is the idea that she's thinking, hey, maybe we're going to do a true part two to the first Nightmare on Elm Street now, and we'll bring me back? Um, maybe. Yeah, I, it's, it's one of those where I, I think I don't want to see a surge of – sequels to films that have already had sequels, but the idea now is that we're just going to get rid of all of those sequels and just continue from the original again because we so fucked up the franchise with everything else that we did. Uh, yeah. You know, I think Halloween was, you know, was a, a flawed but very fun, entertaining film. I think it had just the right mix of things to make it, you know, very worthwhile. It was very successful in theaters. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the, the doc said it. You know, we've all said it. We knew that there was going to be a huge resurgence and a lot of talks going on and people coming out of the woodwork and franchises coming out of the woodwork and rumors <laughs> flying everywhere if and when this film was successful. So being yeah. that it has been successful, 
we are now seeing the the result of that. Mm-hmm. And when I think about the Nightmare on Elm Street series, I don't necessarily think about Heather Langenkamp. Yeah, to me, I I just I never liked Nancy. I just felt like Heather just wasn't a great actress, you know, in, in every mm-hmm. effort that she did. You know, it was an okay character, but the focus isn't on her. You know, when I think about great horror movie heroines, she's not one that I go to. She's not one that I'm like, oh, yeah, Nancy Thompson rules. I'm like, no, she's all right. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it was kind of Freddy's movie when you think about it. But what I found interesting is that she had said in this article that I had read about how she keeps in touch with her friends at New Line all the time, and she's just really excited because of how successful Halloween was. So she's just expecting her phone to ring at any second, and they're like, Nancy, let's go. we got to make another movie. Come on, Heather. Like, yeah, I don't see that phone ringing anytime soon. Rager. Um, you know, I, I don't know about, you know, as far as who I consider what. I mean, obviously, Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy is the is the is the the big thing. I mean, especially considering that yeah. all the sequels just focus so heavily on him. Um, similar, you know, obviously, to like the Friday the 13th franchise. You know, mm-hmm. where everything became Jason, 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 Jason. Uh, I do think, though, when I think of Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, obviously Freddy comes first. And then the second right. thing I do think about is Nancy. You know, she is definitely really? okay. the, you know, as far as the other characters, you could take all the sequels and, you know, they never ever created another worthwhile adversary for Freddy. You know, so mm. similar to having Laurie versus Michael, you know, I think of Freddie and I think of his main adversary being Nancy. You know, I think also because you know, she was in the two strongest movies of the whole franchise when you take yeah. one into account and then three. So, you know, I mean, I, I just, obviously, like I said with Halloween, if they can come up with a solid script and a good idea, then let's, you know, let's go for it and let's see what what they're going to do with it. But, I mean, if it's just going to be something that's going to get squeezed out because, hey, you know, let's capitalize on, on the popularity of Halloween, then, you know what, you know, will I end up watching it? Of course I will, because I'm a horror fan and we're gluttons for fucking punishment. But, no, yeah. am I going to be happy with a, a shitty product? Of course not. No, and I, I actually think that what you brought up is a great, uh, you know, kind of comment is that Freddy really never had a really kind of decent adversary, somebody to go up against him. I mean, we have Nancy from, from part one and then returning in part three. Uh, we have the Mark Patton character from part two. You know, I mean, we, Jesse, I like Jesse part two, doesn't but count, dude. Jesse I love part count. two, but Jesse doesn't count. <laughs> yeah, it was his girlfriend that became like the adversary, which, you know, throwaway. Kim Myers, I forget what her character name was, but I know it was Kim Myers in part two. That was the, the adversary. Um, and it was okay mm-hmm. for, for what it was, but part four, uh, part three, rather you have Kirsten, um, you know, okay. She was great with the other warriors. I mean, warriors as a, a group were great. Um, but then to do the alien three thing in part four and kill them off pretty much within the opening 10 minutes of the movie, it was disappointing because mm-hmm. I wanted to see those characters back at least for a half hour kind of seeing them in the dream world, honing their powers, not kind of lazily entering this movie and going, yeah, we don't dream anymore. Freddy's dead. And then he comes back and they're all killed. It's just <laughs> too yeah, well, they, yeah, They were trying to create another Nancy with 
And the only way they'd be able to do that was to eliminate the characters from part three that survived. You know, and Alice right. was supposed to be the next Nancy, you know, and then we got the atrocities that were, you know, I mean, four had its entertaining, mo- entertaining moments. Yeah. Five was just, you know, five was a fucking real life nightmare. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously they ended up scrapping whatever else they were thinking of doing after that in favor of Freddy's dead and that kind of sucked. So, well, I mean, I, I've talked about Freddy's dead. I mean, I, I think uh, Rachel Talalay, who directed that movie, she had been with the series from the start. Um, mm-hmm. For her to say, I want to go end this series on a comedic note, because she knew about all the kids that were getting into Freddy and how much it was kind of like the kids loved Freddy and thought he was funny and hysterical. I get where her head was at, but I still feel like going the comedic route was not the right way to end that character's journey in Freddy's Dead. They could have made that a really dark movie showing this town being ravaged by Freddy and the influence that Kruger has in dreams and killing all these kids. There could have been a really dark way to go about that, but they decided to use levity, and I just think it was a mistake. Levity and bloodless and just overall just, yeah, just a silly movie and just not... for, For somebody that was attached to the film series from the very beginning... To say you're going to end it and then end it in a way that is so far detached from everything that that series was at the beginning just mm. didn't seem right, you know. And no. you know, shame on her for doing that. It, it really was. I mean, it, it's like I said. I, I don't know where her head was at trying to make it comedic. You know, it's like you have a chance to really kind of make this final film. I mean, obviously it wasn't the final appearance of Freddy as it sounded like years later, but at the time it was. Like, you have the chance to really make a dark movie, return to the roots that Wes Craven kind of created. Um, and there was an opportunity there that was completely missed because they wanted to market it towards kids. You know, like it's, it's mm-hmm. fun, kids. There's Nintendo in this one, and it's Freddy being funny, and he's the, he's the wick, Wicked Witch of the West. Look at him. It's got 3D. Yeah, 3D aspect, you know, why not, guys? I mean, it's, I don't know, movie falls I mean, I've revisited it, and it's still just not a good movie. Like, I was hoping that after not watching it for a couple of years, I'd be like, oh, it's not so bad. No, it's it's just, it's bad. <laughs> it's just still mm-hmm. not good. So, I mean, Roseanne yeah, Barnes, no. Tom Arnold showing up, like, you don't need that. Well, again, man, you know, it was just a, uh, a I don't want to say a lazy effort, it just didn't feel... Really? You wouldn't say it's a lazy effort? Like, I thought it was. No, I think, you know, I think if it was a new character or, mm-hmm. you know, like, I don't know, like, it's just, if it was any other film but a Nightmare on Elm Street movie, it probably wouldn't be as bad of a film. But being that it is Freddy and being that it just did not feel, you know, it felt so, like I said, it felt so detached from the other Nightmare films. And, I mean, that's even saying that film felt detached from a fucking dream child, which is yeah. the pits, you know? And mm-hmm. it, it didn't even, like, match. At least that had certain aspects and elements of what Freddy Krueger does, you know? Freddy's killing people. Freddy's, you know, twisting dreams and nightmares and, you know, obviously, yeah, the, the little twist of the fact that he's coming through the kids' nightmares. Whatever, right. you know, is what it is, but it, uh, it's just really, again, just the fact that you had Freddy in there, 
and Robert England, which is is great, but they just they, they took everything else away from it, and that uh, just it killed it for me. You know, I don't yeah. want to beat up Freddie's dead anymore, man. It's making me sad. <laughs> I know it's true. That's why I wanted to move on uh, because I wanted to talk about going away from Freddie to another uh, horror kind of, of uh, legacy of Scream. Um, because recently David Arquette came out in an interview and he said if they could make another Scream 5, he's totally invested in doing it. So a lot of people are saying, I'd like it, but Wes Craven is dead. So you can't really do it. But I don't think Wes Craven, with his passing, it doesn't mean that you can't make another Scream 5. I, I, I love Wes Craven to death, but to me it was the writing that kind of made those movies. Wes Craven directed it, sure. Added his influence as far as shots and everything like that goes, but really it was the writing that kind of made those movies fun. And that was a lot to do with Kevin Williamson. So even though Wes Craven mm-hmm. is dead, I think they could move on and do a Scream 5, but do you really need it? Because after Part 4, I checked out. Like I, I hated Part 4 so much, and I really don't even like it now. So I'm okay if they never make another one. Like, I, just, I don't think it's necessary. Um, but I wanted to get your take on it. I mean, I... Uh... I mean, obviously, I feel like Scream should have been put to bed after the first one. Uh, yeah. I mean, there were there were aspects of the sequel, the second film, mm-hmm. that I liked. But, you know, overall, I felt like it was a much weaker entry into the series. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't hate 4. I honestly felt like if 4... If there was never a two or a three, like for me, three is the worst. That's the one that I I visited the least. Um, You know, so as far as they go, if, you know, if four was the actual sequel to the film, the original film, I really would have enjoyed it because, you know, here we came Mm. in so many years later, similar to like what Halloween did. We come in years later, you know, we're seeing where these characters are years later. And, you know, somehow, obviously, the big twist, you know, is that it ends up being, you know, her niece, who is just pissed because everything has always been about Sydney because of who Sydney was originally. It would have been a solid sequel to the first movie. So, mm-hmm. you know, but I do also think that that has a lot to do, like you said, with the writer, because, you know, three is the only film in the series not written by Williamson. And that's why right. I felt like that was the weakest one. And I felt like it was a half-assed kind of effort to make uh, Roman, you know, be the killer, like the half-brother of, of you know, uh, Sidney Prescott to be the killer. Like, it, it took a lot to get to that point where he has the explanation about why he's killing people and why he's doing what he's doing. The only thing I really liked about Scream 3 was the fact that he had that voice modulator that could turn his mm-hmm. voice into anybody. So that was the only cool thing about that movie that I took away from it. That was cool. Like, the fact that he could turn his voice to sound like Sid, he could sound like Dewey. You know, he could fuck with you that way. But that was it. To me, Scream could have ended at part two. Like, honestly, if they had just done one and two, I would have been fine. Never needed to go back to that well. Part two, I felt, ended the story the right way. You know, cutting off all the ties. Mrs. Loomis is dead. Mickey's dead. All right, we're going to end it. Randy's dead. You know, the one big thread that I liked about the movies. You know, so ended Mm. it too. Part four, it was the fact that it was Emma Roberts and Rory Culkin being the killers. And I just don't like them. (laughs) I just... They, they annoyed me so much. And when they're revealing I, you know, what they're doing, it, I just, yeah, I couldn't stand it. 
like, you know, it's funny. Emma Roberts is one of those actresses that I don't want to like. And yet there's something about her that I end up enjoying with her. Like, even with mm-hmm. American Horror Story, you know, like, I, there's, there's something about she's got that factor, you know, which is great. You know, when you see that in, in a young actor or actress, um, that they just have that, that thing that makes you watch them. And she's mm-hmm. one of those. So, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing what she's going to do with her career over the years. Yeah, I just, um, yeah, I mean, I, I just never liked her. I mean, I watched her on Scream Queens uh, when she was on that show on Fox, and I watched her on American Horror Story. I just, I felt like she always played the same character. Always like the bitchy kind of character that you just can't really get into. Um, and then, like, it's, when you watch part four. She does it well. And then, you know me, I like that kind of person to... because, you know what, you can insult me all you want. It's just going to make me harder. <laughs> Well, there you go. But when you compare part four to part one, I think that Skeet Ulrich and Matthew Lillard were so great as Billy and Stu. And then you compare mm-hmm. it to part four, and it's like, yeah, clearly Billy and Stu were the better of the, the team killers in Scream. They just had so much charisma and personality and energy. Even though when I first watched Scream back in 1997, I knew that Billy was the killer. I just wanted to know if he was being helped. And at the end, I'm like, oh, shit, mm-hmm. there's a helper. So, in a way, yeah, I kind of think that drags the movie down when I watch it now because it's so kind of apparent that he has this evil streak in him that he's trying to hide. But it was so mm-hmm. well done. Like, it's just, to me, it's still well done, even today when I watch it. Uh, I give a lot of credit to that character. <laughs> I don't know. It was so obvious, you know. It was like one of those, <laughs> like, even when they tried to tried to, to deflect it and, you know, he's in the, when he's at the police station and she still gets the phone call, it was like, mm-hmm. all right, well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I obviously knew somebody else was working with him, but yeah, those, those two are the best ones out of the series, of course, because it's the original two and it, it was just well done. Like that, that's what, like I enjoyed Emma Roberts and Culkin in four more than I enjoyed Roman in three and more than I oh, enjoyed yeah. Mrs. Loomis and the, what was Mickey. it, the, the student helper or whatever? Yeah, Mickey, being, the, uh, the, the other one? Yes, you yeah. know, like, I just found that to be just ridiculous. So, like, as they got further and further away from the relationships to the characters they were killing, the sillier I felt it was. That's why I like the fact that, you know, it went back to actually being, like, a family member or a close personal relation. You know, not somebody attached by blood and, you know, oh, well, this one's related. Even though I was never a part of my kid's life, I'm still going to kill you because you killed my kid. Like, come on, man. This isn't fucking Jerry Springer. It's Scream. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, to me, though, that's why I like part two. And uh, Miss, uh, Mrs. Loomis being the killer, um, I cannot for the life of me remember her name at the moment, but I know she was on Roseanne as Jackie, um, the sister. Yeah. Um, I can't remember her name, but I, Laurie, she was fantastic. Lori something, yeah. isn't it? Lori Metcalf. That's it. Okay, yep. There we yeah. go. I had to shake that loose. But yeah, I thought she was great as Mrs. Loomis, like going off the deep end at the end. And she's the one that mm-hmm. killed Randy, you know, in the van. Which, again, that's why I don't like his death, because as a horror fan, he would not do what he did. He wouldn't go off by himself, talking on a cell phone, you know, secluding himself from everybody so he could end up getting dragged into that van. And I was like, Randy, you're not really a horror fan, are you? Because I would not have done that. I would have stayed in a public fucking area, and I would have talked on that phone the entire time. So the killer well, has no chance of getting He was in a public area. He was right in the middle of the school grounds right there. The problem was that he got close to the vehicle. Yeah. Well, there was nobody around at the time when he got uh, by the van. 
it wasn't until he got dragged into the van that you see the group walking by with the boombox, you know, and mm-hmm. jamming along and he's being stabbed to death. But I was like, that's a rookie mistake, man. That's <laughs> you call yourself the ultimate horror fan, and you make the one mistake that nobody would make? Yeah, okay, Randy. He kind of deserved to die. <laughs> you know, but I did like in Scream 4 how they brought in Kirby, uh, Hayden Panettiere, kind of being the spiritual, you know, successor to Randy, you know, knowing all about mm-hmm. horror movies and remakes. It was cool, that character. Um, I just, and I know dude, that, I just uh, think Hayden that Panettiere, chick is so hot. Oh, she is. Oh, my. Especially in that role. I mean, I don't like short hair and women, but, man, she just pulled it off. Like, there's something about that short hair. It's this, this little tiny thing that you just, yeah, uh-huh. It was it was great. So um, I think that they're better off just having that stream TV show on MTV because I know that the season three is supposed to be happening soon, and they're going to bring in oh, the ghost really? face mask. So, yeah, wow. yeah, they're, they're talking about it, and they want to bring in the ghost face mask rather than the weird mask that they used in the first two seasons. So they want to do a reboot for Scream 3, just kind of go do an original story and have the Ghostface mask be the mask that the killer wears. And I'm like, okay, I'm for that. Let that be Scream 5. Let that be the spiritual sequel, in a way. I enjoyed the TV series, but I also only watched the first season of it. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we started watching the second season, and just, we just trailed off with it at that point. I don't know. I don't know if it was an entertainment value or something else came up and we started, you know, getting into that or what, but something like detracted our attention from watching it. So, I mean, for us, when we're into something, you know, we're pretty much like locked in. So like, you know, we were talking about watching that, uh, you know, the haunting of Hill house and like right. it was just, you know, we started watching it and boom, we finished it within days. You know, we really enjoyed the hell out of it. You know, I know I was singing its praises last week. I know you don't like the, the director of it, Mike Flanagan or whatever. Right. I still yeah. can't tell you just it's so well worth checking out, man. I really wish you would give it a give it a shot. Yeah, a lot of people keep telling me that. And I just put your, your feelings of Mike Flanagan aside and just watch it because it's got such a great story. Uh, and really kind of horrific elements. So I'm, I'm debating it, but at the same time, I just, I just don't like Mike Flanagan. So I'm like, I, I don't want to support him. Like, I just don't like what he does. So it's kind of hard. That's why I never watched um, Gerald's Game that came out on Netflix, because that's my Flanagan movie. And I'm like, I just have no interest. Oh, and, see, I, and I enjoyed Gerald's Game. I never read the book, but I enjoyed the, mm-hmm. the film. I didn't know he did that. Cool. Yeah. No, I, I read the book, and I love the book. So... I was thinking about checking it out, but I was like, yeah, I got to put my aspirations aside for, for Mike Flanagan, you know, just check out these movies. You know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll it's just stuff like. that he does with Netflix. That's, you know, maybe Netflix has got something with their production or whoever it is that they have on top of them is, is what's pushing out, you know, something a little bit more from them. That's possible. I mean, you know, obviously the guy has his fans, you know, and he's got people that want to see what he comes up with next. So I appreciate that. You know, as a creator of horror movies, you know, and, and content, if you have your fans, great. You know, it's something to really appreciate. I'm just, I'm not one of them. I'm sure there's plenty of people out there that have their directors that they don't like or movies that they don't like, and it's fine. That's why I love the genre, because you could just hate whatever you like, but there's going to be something that you're going to love. And that's why it's always kind of a pick and choose kind of genre. You know, one director might not do it for you, but another one will. Yeah, I just, uh, you know, for me, when it comes down to that, obviously, uh, as important a director is, is like I 
always said, you know, it's just as important to have a good writer. You know, it's just as important to have a good cinematographer. You know, all, all of that stuff comes into into play as well. So, you know, I think with, uh, you know, with weak writing, you know, the greatest the director, maybe he can salvage somewhat of a of a picture out of it, but it doesn't doesn't mean it's going to be good. Oh, yeah. I completely agree. And that's what we were just talking about with Scream. I love Wes Craven. I think he's a great director. I think he wrote some great horror movies and directed a lot of great ones. But with Scream, I don't automatically just say there cannot be another Scream without Wes Craven. There could be. Because if you get a good writer, you know, you can make a good movie. It doesn't have to be Wes Craven's dead no more. Just bring Williamson back, man. Or you find, you know, whatever the comparative – to, you know, comparative writer to who Williamson was in the 90s. You know, like, that's mm-hmm. the thing you got to remember, too. What Williamson was writing back then, you know, between Scream, between, you know, I guess he had a hand in H2O, you know, the Dawson's Creek series. You know, he was capturing a certain type of angst going on throughout the youth culture that resonated, obviously. Um you know, so I don't know if you get Kevin Williamson writing something for today. Yeah, maybe it might please people like us, but it doesn't mm. necessarily capture a younger audience. So you need somebody that's capable of, of capturing that, you know. So uh, obviously you're going to have to change the dynamic of the series a little bit. You know, you can have Scream 5, but you have to make it so that it's at least modernized to, to what today's society standards are. Yeah, and I, you hit it right on the head. You know, we as uh, horror fans and as a genre, you know, we, we move on and we modernize over time. So situations change and, and attitudes change and, and things like that. So um, I would think that Williamson as a writer would be able to kind of see the climate of horror movies and, and where we are right now in our current term and make a good sequel and, and kind of deliver. You know, I, I have faith in him. I, I've always liked Kevin Williamson. You know, and like you were at the mm-hmm. Dawson's Creek and teaching Miss Tingle, the Scream series. He's a smart guy, and I think that he would be able to deliver. No. I've sung the praises of Dawson's Creek many a time, you know, and I'm not ashamed to say yeah. that. I watched all five seasons uh, you of me that both. damn show. <laughs> yeah. I watched everything live on, on WB you know, when it premiered and all the way until the, the series finale. I was a huge fan of that show. Again, like you had said, I have no problem saying it. Because it was a good show. It was it was fun for the time that it was, and, and I had a good time with it. And it, it's hard yeah, to think yeah. of a better show than that. Yeah, just the, the one thing like I always think of too with that song, like you know, like with that show, like anytime I hear the song "Drift Away," <laughs> I automatically think of the night that Dawson's dad died. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. How could you not? You know, I mean, it's iconic when you think about that you know and it's one of those things where you think about the songs like um you know the journey song being used in sopranos when it ended mm-hmm. you know whenever i hear that song i automatically think about the end credits of the sopranos <laughs> so it's mm. weird how songs kind of bring you back to where you were you know when you saw these things kind of go on but um all right so to move on because we're hitting our 10 o'clock hour uh, I want to get into Sleepy Hollow from 1999, directed by Tim Burton. Uh, this is your pick tonight, Ghoul. So uh, hit us with a little bit of a plot, what you thought about it, and we'll get this train rolling. Oh, that's the movie we're covering? My bad. No, just kidding. Yeah, um, oh, Florida High? No? Okay. 
Oh, oh, oh shit. Halloween 3. Uh, oh, here we go. Uh, Sleepy Hollow, man. It's the, uh, you know, in this variation, it is the tale of a constable who is kind of ahead of his peers in the police force of New York City uh, back in the, what is it, the, the late 1700s, 1600s? I forget 1799. Exactly it is. 1799, going right into 1800. Um you know he's uh, he's he's starting to use techniques and things like that that are just you know they they kind of consider him a quack. So they ship him out of New York City up to the town of Sleepy Hollow, where there have been a series of deaths occurring and people have been losing their heads. Literally, um, mm. he heads up and gets you know involved in a tawdry plot of twists and turns and all kinds of things going in directions I wasn't expecting but should have. Mm-hmm. So what did you think about it overall as a Tim Burton uh, entry? Uh, you know, again, I've never seen this movie, um, which is one of the other reasons why, you know, I was, I was glad to <laughs> have picked it. Uh, it's right. one that just, it escaped me. It had nothing to do with it being Burton. It had nothing to do with, you know, oh, I don't want to watch that. It just, Never ever like entered my my viewing at any point. Uh, mm. I enjoyed it. Uh, like I said, there were a couple things that happened in it that I didn't expect to see happen. But afterwards, it was like, oh, I guess it makes sense because of who the director is. Uh, like you had mm. said, you know, it's very Burton esque. Um, yeah, I do feel it was, and I feel like it's also one of those films that. I almost would have liked to have seen him go a bit out of character with, but, you know, considering the direction they go with this film, I understand why he's the one directing it. Hmm. Yeah. And, and when you announced it to me anyway, that you were going to cover uh, sleepy hollow, I was kind of looking forward yes, to it. Yes. I whispered it I in your seen. ear. You Actually. did late one night. You kind of whispered it, you know, sleepy hollow, babe. And I'm like, Oh my God, really? Okay. Like, I'm mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it, it's been a long time since I've seen Sleepy Hollow. I mean, it, it came out in 1999. I didn't see it until maybe 2001. You know, I had rented it one night because I was in the mood for something different. Um, and it's one of those movies where you kind of have to be in the mood, I think, in a way to kind of watch it because it is a period piece taking place in 1799. You get Danny Elfman coming back to do the score. Um, a lot of Burton players are in this movie, like Johnny Depp, Martin Landau, Lisa Marie, Christopher Lee, a lot of people that you've seen in his previous entries, um, like uh, the Gula said, it does feel very Burton-esque in a lot of ways with the set pieces. But overall, it's a good movie, but I think that it gets kind of complicated in plot towards the third act. Um, because the story is simple enough. Uh, Ichabod Crane going to a town where there's a killer going around beheading people with the Headless Horseman. Um, but I think that they kind of got a little bit kind of jumbled towards the end in plot with everything that was going on. It it went from a simple kind of a story into different families and wills and things being exchanged. Um, And watching it this time, that was my only kind of downfall of this movie is that getting into that last kind of act, it just, it goes from being a simple story into kind of overly complicated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, uh, I guess for me, 
you know, I, I always like when they get intricate with stuff like that because at least it's giving me something to do besides just simply enjoying the visuals that are, are being put before me. Um, right. Which obviously Burton is Burton. You know, he's always giving you that, that gothic, that, that very large world that he, he builds before you. You know when you're watching a Tim Burton film because of the way the world is created. Um, and that you have in spades here. Uh, you know, everything from the look of, of New York City, you know, which I just, I always love films that take place back when, like, New York City is just not what we've grown up with New York City being, you know, when it's just simply, you know, a, a couple of small buildings and, you know, paved roads, but not, you know, they're just, just brick, you know, that type of deal. Like, uh, Gangs right. of New York is, you mm-hmm. know, oh, yeah. obviously just one of those films that always just comes into mind for that because I just love the way they show in that movie just that, that transition of what New York was to what New York is going to be. Um, and, like, I feel like you got that with this. Now, you know, I've been to Sleepy Hollow, New York, um, okay. uh, you know, back from, uh, you know, when I was married, uh, my, my ex had relatives that lived up in that area. Now, I never got a chance to explore or see any of the, the, the cooler sites of Sleepy Hollow, New York. But, you know, mm-hmm. I've been there, and, you know, it's just a standard town, just like any other upstate New York, somewhat upscale area, um, as far right. as the, the, the parts of it that I got to see. So, mm-hmm. you know, see, seeing it like where it's just a couple of, it's like a small hamlet where you just got these, like, little shit shacks and, you know, one really big mansion that's real creepy looking, you know, with Burton-esque style and all these, these interesting people and characters and, and things. I liked the fact that they kind of intertwined this, this family plot because, again, it made it into a whodunit, why'd they do it, and that is his reason, and I, I like that in the film. Hmm. I mean, and I did like the fact that they kind of do throw <clears throat> nods, excuse me, they throw nods to the original kind of story of the Headless Horseman. Um, and I want to mm-hmm. get to that in a little bit, but, you know, the kind of throwback to that. But I, I did like the decapitation because there's plenty of them, and they really were great. The effects department really kind of went all out with these decapitations because they weren't blood spurting everywhere, but the head rolling off, it worked. I was like, wow, mainstream movie, and they're showing all these decapitations. I was having fun, you know, watching these heads roll because they were good. I mean, it was good effects. Uh, yeah, no, I was, uh, I mean, not only was I surprised at the fact that they were showing the decapitations, which, I mean, it's right. the Headless Horseman, you gotta kind of have them in there, but I was surprised at the amount of blood that was involved with it, you know, I know there wasn't, yeah. you know, a ton, we weren't seeing something like, you know, uh, a Dead Alive type of movie, but, mm-hmm. you know, there was some, some, you know, some nice digital blood effects, you know, squirt now, especially for 99. And there were a couple yeah. scenes that had some, some straight up practical blood squirting on, you know, our, our lead character, which, you know, is, I'm going to, besides talking about Nightmare on Oak Street every now and again, I don't believe we've ever discussed Johnny Depp on the show before. So, you know, he is the, uh, the star vehicle in this as he was in a lot of Burton films at that time. He was. Um, so yeah, Johnny Depp, I think this is his first appearance on the show. But you know who it isn't his first appearance on the show is somebody that we get in this movie is Jeffrey Jones, who has officially hit the trifecta with Talking Terror. Because we had John Ravenous, 
We had Don Trent from 96,000, and we've reached a trifecta with Sleepy Hollow, where he plays Reverend Steamwick. Wow, he's a priest this time, guys. <laughs> you know, thing up. watch out for your little kids, because he's got that wig on, you know. And it's, yeah, it's, was, not even, it's not even just a straight trifecta, man. It's like a trifecta over like a two-month period, man. So yeah. we do apologize. It's not like we have a love for Jeffrey Jones. Um, nor do we share his love for nor do we share his love for small children. It's just a matter of happenstance. It was, but it was just it was so great just to put this movie on. I'm like, there he is, <laughs> you know, as Reverend Steenwick. Um, so when Ichabod goes to the town of Sleepy Hollow and he's introduced to the elders of the town at the party, I also like the fact that Casper Van Dien is in this movie as Bra. I was like, that's perfect casting mm-hmm. to me. I mean, I like Casper Van Dien. You know, ever since Starship Troopers, so I was kind of glad to see him in this movie playing the kind of not villain, it's but just kind of fucking not really Johnny like Rico, Bible. man. Mm-hmm. Johnny Rico, he there you go. A, he he didn't get enough time. No. Actually, no. I feel like the Brom character could have been built a little more. Um, just to kind of to rewind a little bit, because I know my first time of ever you know hearing the story and how I heard the story of Sleepy Hollow. What was your first time and what? variation of Sleepy Hollow was your first? That is a great question, because I was going to bring that up, too. I'm glad you brought it up first. Um, to me, it was, I remember I was in school. I think I might have been in fourth or fifth grade. Um, and it was around this time, Halloween time, you know, and you go to the library and they had uh, scary stories and stuff like that to tell, and one of the stories was The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Um, they didn't show us the Disney movie that, if you know Sleepy Hollow, you know that Disney movie that came out years ago. Um, it was actually mm-hmm. just a story by Washington Irving. And I love the story because you're talking about a guy that's headless on a horse with a flaming pumpkin going after this poor <laughs> school teacher, Ichabod Crane. But what I loved about it is that at the end of the story, Ichabod disappears. And they don't mm-hmm. find any kind of anything left to him except for a broken pumpkin on the bridge. So you never really find out what happened to him. You know, it, it, did Brom kill him because he was trying to get with Katrina? Did the Headless Horseman kill him? There was such a kind of cliffhanger ending, and that always stuck with me. The fact that it was an old story, but it had a great kind of cliffhanger, Twilight Zone-esque ending. Uh, so what about for you, Ghoul? What was the first time that you heard The Legend of Sleepy Hollow? For me, it was actually the Disney variation. Okay, sure. Um, you know, I remember catching it around Halloween time, Uh I might have been seven or eight or something like that. Uh, During this time of year, Channel 5 in particular always seemed to have, like, Disney stuff on. And I know, like, around now and also around uh, Thanksgiving, uh, when we Mm. had off during those days of school, they did, like, a whole marathon thing where it was basically just all day, like, you know, either Disney cartoons or, like, those Disney one-hour movies that they had. And right. Sleepy Hollow was one that I uh that I, I viewed with pleasure and yes, it was a uh it was a creepy tale and you know, it was just yeah, again, this school teacher who was getting, you know, basically just attacked by this, this fucking guy on a horse flames and his fucking you know, his flaming pumpkins that he's tossing at him and everything and and yeah, the ending in which the fact that he is just not found was just frightening, you know. Right, because there's no finality to it. It's not like, oh, Ichabod got attacked, but it was really something else. 
And that's why I like in this movie, they do have that sequence where Ichabod's on the bridge and he hears the hoofbeats and he looks mm-hmm. over his shoulder and there's the headless horseman holding the flaming pumpkin. And it zooms by and hits him in the head. He lands on the ground. But they cut to show Brom is covering himself up to look at the headless horseman. So I love that little kind of throwback to the original story. Like, that's your throwback. You know, hope you enjoyed it because we're doing something different. So here's that little Easter egg for you. Mhm. Yeah. Well, and, you know, obviously, years later, I did go, go and I did read the short story, and I know there's, you know, it, it's left open, yeah. ultimately, to the fact that Brom was the headless horseman in the original right. story, and you mm-hmm. know that that's the implication there that you know he because I guess he was like a you know he was supposed to be a skilled rider, and it would just make sense that he was he was doing it because he just being a dick. <laughs> well, it's because Ichabod was trying to hit on the girl that he liked, you know, Katrina. Mm-hmm. And he just didn't like that. So he wanted to scare the shit out of him. But like you had said, with the story, it kind of leaves it open-ended where it's like, did he actually kill him? Or did he just scare him out of town? You know, like, there's no mm-hmm. finality, which I kind of like. Like, there's no definitive, did he get scared and run away? Did Brom kill him? There's no kind of ending to it, which, you know, it's open-ended. So you can kind of put whatever you want to it. Maybe he killed him, maybe he didn't. You know, this is what I liked about the story. Yeah. And again, you know, obviously Burton and for them to, it's a short story. So for them to, to take it and turn it into a film and for Burton to do it the way he's going to do it, he uh, is going to make some changes to it. You know, first of which right. is, you know, we don't have a school teacher. We have him as a constable. Um, That's right. You know, and like I said, and you know, like I said, what they did with him in this particular case, you know, or at least I felt what they were doing with him was he was starting to take and apply, you know, what we see as scientific method to, mm-hmm. you know, to solving crimes. You know, he's obviously not believing in this as a supernatural tale, but that rather similar to like Scooby-Doo, that it's a man in a mask. Right. And that was going to be my next talking point is because we had talked about him arriving in Sleepy Hollow, meeting Brom and Katrina, but he also meets with Baltus von Tassel, Thomas Lancaster, the Reverend Steenwick, Jeffrey Jones, hey, buddy, um, James Hardenbrook, uh, Sam Philippe's. What I liked about this sequence when they meet him, also, that's Michael Goh, who was Alfred Pennyworth mm-hmm. in Batman and Batman Returns, playing the, uh, the notary in town, which I like seeing him with his uh, weirdly Canadian kind of mullet in this movie. Like, he had a weird kind of hockey hair. <laughs> Honestly, everybody else has got wigs and stuff like that, and he's got a hockey hair. Liked it, you know. Yeah. Well, a whole bunch of them actually come from from different things that I knew them all from. Uh, you know, Michael Gambon. I know him from uh, the Doctor Who episode, one of the Christmas mm-hmm. episodes. He plays yep. uh, Ebenezer Scrooge, um, or the Scrooge type character uh, in that particular one. Um, Ian McDiarmid, uh, the Doctor, is the Emperor. In the Star Wars franchise, you know, mm-hmm. Michael Go yeah. is Michael Go, um, and then there's also uh, Philippe, or whatever his name was. Uh, he yeah, Philippe. is Philippe's. He is what's his name from the Harry Potter series? Uh, Harry's. Nope, uncle. you're getting him confused. Balthus is uh, Dumbledore. Oh, Balthus no, 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 not. Yes, but he's also the one that was in the uh, the Ebenezer Scrooge. I'm not talking about Baltus. I'm okay. talking about sure. the guy. 
I'm talking about the heavy set guy. Yeah, um, yeah, he was in Harry Potter too. Yes, he is Harry's uncle, the one that he lives oh. with. Okay, I didn't know that. Wow. Okay, so yeah, I thought you were going about with Balthus, and I was like, I knew him from Harry Potter as playing the the second Dumbledore because you can't mistake that voice. If you've ever no, seen the, magistrate. the second half of the Harry Potter, that's who it is. The magistrate, the guy that ends up uh, the one that was basically the cop in the town. Right. I can't remember yeah, his name from my life. You may have been off or remember it. <laughs> no. <clears throat> um, but what I did like is that, like you had said, Ichabod comes to this town, and he's applying scientific logic. There's obviously a madman, a real blood person, going around decapitating people, but he's asking about their heads. And these people get decapitated, but their heads go missing. And he's like, what do you mean they go missing? It's like, we haven't found them. So he's trying to still apply logic, but... They're all like, oh, my God, you haven't heard about the Headless Horseman? And well, let me tell you, he's taking these heads to hell. And then you get the weirdest kind of turn in this movie because you find out who the Headless Horseman is, a Hessian soldier, but it's Christopher Walken. It's Walken. <laughs> it is. It and he, is, he, is he is walking all over this fucking character, too, man. There's no – he's got no lines of dialogue. Nope. And he's just hissing and screaming, and he's got his teeth filed to points. And, you know, he's a, a Hessian soldier who, you know, basically they were soldiers from Germany that the British employed to fight against us during the Revolutionary War. So, right. you know, it, right there it kind of makes him like, you know, in an American tale you know, he's obviously one of the villains. So you're not feeling bad when this guy gets killed, you know, and the, the manner in which it happens when he's, he's on the run and those two little, the cool girls yeah. watching this, and the two little girls are there, and he's telling them to shush, and the one girl breaks the twig, the two girl just goes, oh, that little bitch. Right? Yeah. Snaps that twig, and she just, like, runs away, like, yep, fuck you. You know, and it leads to that battle where he gets decapitated and they throw his body into the grave and they leave his sword where it is. I was like, yeah, Christopher Walken. I mean, I like him. But in this movie, it's like Christopher Walken, you don't have to say anything. You just have to fucking look menacing. That's it. And he's like, got it, got it. (laughs) It's so great. No dialogue whatsoever. You just have to hiss. You have to open your eyes a lot. And then you just got to stab a lot of people. Got it, got it. That's like every day for me. I'm good. Like, you know. And it works, you know. I don't know how he got him to do that, but it, it, it was fun seeing him as, as the horseman who would become the headless horseman later on. Richard Griffiths. Sorry, that is the actor's name. And he plays, uh, like I say, he plays uh, Vernon Dursley. Uncle, oh, okay. Uncle Vernon. All right, there you go. Mm-hmm. Um, um, sorry, it was bothering the hell out of me. But, uh, but yes, yeah, and this is where the film, for me, you know, as it as it starts to build towards him investigating, you know, into this, you get this story and everything. And I guess I was looking at this film, and from the way they were presenting it, from the way they were presenting Depp's character, um, I was thinking that they were going to go along the lines of this being a Scooby-Doo type of deal. This right. town has got mm-hmm. this, you know, this entire folk tale built up around this, this headless horseman guy and that there were people involved with something that were using that tale to their advantage. 
by frightening people mm-hmm. and, you know, maybe it was, you know, scaring people off and getting a job done and giving it something to blame that nobody could really find. Um, yeah. So ultimately for me, the biggest shock in this movie is the scene when we go to the tree. And right. Okay. Like up until that point, again, I'm still thinking like, okay, this, you know, we get the scene with Brahm at the bridge and I'm thinking, right. all right, so this is this is obviously a red herring, but somebody is going to be dressing up as this guy. And then we get to the tree, and he starts hacking into it, which is great, because it's another blood-filled scene. We had the scene when he goes into the, uh, the doctor's place, and, mm. you know, we don't see all the blood, you know, spurting all over him, but he walks out of the doctor's office and he's just coated in blood. And when he's checking the one body um, to find the, uh, the, the fact that she was pregnant, but yeah. this scene, you got Johnny Depp hacking into the, into the fucking, the roots of this tree and blood is just spurting out everywhere. It's getting all over him. Like it hits him in the face. And it's one of those where it's like, you know, like I feel like it's one of those cases in which they're like, okay, listen, Johnny, you know, you're going to be hacking into this tree. We're going to spray some blood on you. And it's, he knows it's going to happen, but I feel like his reactions to it are just genuine. Like it's genuine aversion to the fact that there's this blood getting spurted on him because he doesn't know exactly how it's going to hit him when it's getting (laughs) hit with him or the consistency of it or like exactly what direction they're going to spray it on him. And he's just coated with it. And when he turns around and he's like, this is a gateway to hell. And the fucking thing opens up and out comes flying this fucking ghostly headless horseman. It was at that point that for me, the movie, I just went, oh, oh. And then, like I said, for me, it took a a turn that I wasn't expecting. Okay. I wasn't expecting that supernatural element for it. But at the same time, it was like, I guess I should have because this is Tim Burton. Why else do you have Tim Burton do this movie if you're not going to bring that element in? I was expecting more of like a a real life whodunit using the Sleepy Hollow tale. And instead, we get a more traditional sense of telling with a little bit of a modernization to it. Right. Well, I, I did, like I said, I love the fact that he definitely looked like he wasn't ready for that blood. Like, he was like, oh, God, oh, God, this is going to be a blood spurt. And fucking just, like, Bruce Campbell style, just starts mm-hmm. spurting all over his face as he's cutting it. Because that's the tree of the dead, and that's where the Headless Horseman was buried. And that's why he's going to that tree to kind of look into this legend, like, see if it's real, to see if there's any kind of thing that he could apply science to. Um, but he notices that the skull of the Headless Horseman is missing. But what he does find is all the heads of everybody that's been killed so far at the base of the tree. Mm-hmm. And I love that effect, though, like you had said. I love the effect of the horse emerging from this portal beneath that tree. It was such a cool effect to see the nozzle of the horse kind of burst out from the, bur- the bottom of that tree, and then all of a sudden you see the headless horseman just go rushing off. It, it was, for 1999, it was good. Like, I was like, yeah, that's a good effect. It wasn't like, oh, that looks so cheesy and fake. Like, I, I was sold on that effect. It's Burton, and that's what he's always done very well. You know, he's always mixed a good amount. I mean, obviously, most of his previous movies were not 
CGI, you know, they were mostly practical effects. So for him right. to, to merge it the way he did, it just felt like a natural extension of what he was already doing. You know, I mean, he uses a little bit of puppetry, a little bit of clay. You know, he'll he'll mix his styles up and. You know, I think that's that's something that you know, he continues to do. You know, I I don't know if they're going to to get around to making the follow up to the Miss Peregrine film. Um, mm-hmm. You know, being a fan of the film and the the book series, you know, I hope Let so. Let me tell you about that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I read the first book, and we obviously we saw the movie in the theater. I was holding off on wa- on reading the second book until after I saw the second movie, because you know I always feel like the the books are better than the films. Um, but I don't again. I don't, the the movie didn't make enough money, I guess. So I don't know if they're going to actually get around to it. So I got to read the other two books already. Mm-hmm. Me being lazy, essentially. We own them, we just haven't read them. But, but right. yeah, but, you know, and again, he brought, he was when they announced him as director for it. The Ghoul Girl was a little bit like eh, because she's not the biggest of fans of his. I feel yeah. like he's the perfect director for that kind of film because it, it mixes in this dark twist with a light story. You know, a story that doesn't mm. have to necessarily be dark, even though it is dark. If that makes sense. right, and and yeah, and that's you know going to one of the scenes I wanted to talk about is the scene of the the midwife. And her husband and the child, who is playing with that really cool light that he had with the candles, with the shapes cut out. Oh. So when he put the candle in it and started spinning, I love that. I was like, I want that for my house. <laughs> because it just so didn't cool. make any sense. <laughs> but it was the fact that not only does the headless horseman come in and kill the husband of the midwife, he kills the midwife too, but he also kills the kid. Which mm-hmm. is okay. All right. So the kid isn't even spared. You know, you don't. Luckily, you don't get to see it because I think that would have turned a lot of people off of this movie if you show a little kid getting killed by the headless horseman. But it's the fact that the headless horseman is going to kill you, and he's he's going to do it any way he can. And the fact that he kills a child was effective. Um, this, I, I wanted to know what you thought about that scene because I thought it was it was it was tense. There was suspense. It's. It surprised the hell out of me, you know, the kid was safe underneath the house and, you know, I knew he was trying not to make noise or anything, but I knew specifically that, you know, obviously he was at this point of the film, you know, that he's targeting specific people um, as Depp's character is, you know, started to, to piece certain things together. Right. But, um, you know, the fact is, is the kid's not involved in anything other than the fact that he's their child. So with him being underneath the house, it just didn't seem like there'd be any reason for it. Sorry, I'm urinating at the moment. Uh, just oh, to let everybody know that the, the, the ghoul is pissing. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I digress. They went there, like you said. You know, the fact is they, they went there, they killed the child, and, yeah, I uh, it was one of those moments again in this film where I was just like, oh, oh, okay, right, look, it happened. You know, made yeah. sense at the time. I'm not going to be against it. I'm glad they, you know, I guess to a, to a degree, I'm glad they didn't show it. I didn't want to see no little kid get beheaded, but you got to no. assume that that's yeah. what happened to him. Yeah, you have to assume that that's, you know, he got killed in that process. But I also like is the fact that up until this point, Ichabod Crane, uh, Johnny Depp's character, has been pretty much uh, a constable, you know, just investigating these crimes. But as we know of the story and of the movie, Ichabod is kind of a coward in a lot of ways, and he's he scares very easily. And you haven't really seen that yet out of Ichabod until you have the well, fight between Brom, the headless horseman, and Ichabod, where he gets where Ichabod gets stabbed by the headless horseman's uh, sword in the shoulder, 
and Brom gets sliced the fucking half, which I thought was so fucking hot. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I love that, man. Like, what, again, this is another one of those where I'm like, oh, okay, they're both going to survive because the Headless Horseman isn't trying to kill him. You know, and then it was like, oh, okay, well, look, Brom's going after him. And, yeah, we've seen little bits of Ichabod's cowardice. You know, I mean, we've seen him get a little bit squeamish when, you know, they were discussing the whole idea of, you know, them losing their heads. You know, mm-hmm. it's Depp being Depp. It's not over the top. You're not, like, seeing it, like, completely, like, hey, it's there. It's those little subtle things that he does, those little facial tics that he might have, you know, or he might, like, lick his lips and blink his eyes a certain way. Um, mm-hmm. But he is playing to it, to a degree. But, yes, the fact that, like, Brom goes after him, and there they are, and I just figured, okay, he's just going to kill him. He's just going to cut off his head. No, he straight up fucking cuts him in half. And, no, you don't really see it, like, you know, up but close. But you know what you don't see blood. You, yeah, and you know what? The shot was effective because you do see the liquid come out of him. It's just dark because it's in the bridge. I, I, I love the way it was framed. I thought it was just, it was great. You know, it was one of those fun yeah. scenes that I'm just like, yeah, wow. You know, because ultimately, I guess that's what really surprised me here because what I was thinking I was going into was a typical Tim Burton film, which might be dark, but not right. horror. And this mm-hmm. was a horror film with a Tim Absolutely. Burton flair. <clears throat> Absolutely it was. Um, but like you had said, with his cowardice, you don't get to see it too much, a little bit here and there. But I love when he first encounters the Headless Horseman, and the next day he's in bed and he's covering himself up. And he's like, it's real. The Headless Horseman's real. Like, this shit's real. Like, I didn't mm-hmm. think it was like, you know, just in bed, like terrified to come out because he doesn't know what the fuck is going on. I love the fact that they went that way with, with Ichabod to show that he does have a little bit of a coward streak in him, uh, especially the scene where he's with uh, the one kid that becomes his assistant when he's in his bedroom and he sees a spider and he jumps up on that chair like a woman seeing a mouse. And he's like, oh, God, oh, God, there's a spider. Uh-huh. Get rid of it, get rid of it, kill it. He's like, it's just a little spider. He's like, kill it. Like, just the fact that he was on that chair. Like, you're a constable, you know, you should both be a cop, but yet you're afraid of a little spider. You know, I, I got with him, though, because that was a pretty big fucking spider. I probably would have jumped up on that chair, too. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I know you, you and the doctor have issues with spiders, man. I, I don't. I, I just kill them. I run into them too often to not just be like, yeah, I'm going to squish you. I don't believe me. I don't like them, but I'm not, you know, I'm not going to get squeamish about it. But it's a scene that kind of needed to happen because when he mm-hmm. moves the bed out of the way to kill the spider, you get to see the evil eye. Uh, beneath his bed and that's when the little kid says you know that's somebody trying to put a curse on you and it kind of leads to him wondering who's doing it yeah and that's where you know the film starts to to go into a little bit of witchcraft lore um we're told it's the evil eye by the kid you know which is is kind of it's it's good in a way because it kind of is showing us that you know obviously the 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 witch trials and all of that stuff had occurred and you had that still misunderstanding of what things were because as we're going to find out later it's not the evil eye you know it's right. just that that's what that kid was raised to believe it was because you know witches were quote unquote bad they were evil um you know so and, and yes though we know 
Uh, we haven't spoken about her at all. Um, you know, mostly because oh, I don't know. It's Katrina. It's it's Christina Ricci. You know, she's mm-hmm. she's fine enough in the in the film in the role. You know, she she went full blonde. Um, yeah. You know, not only did eyebrows she go full blonde with her hair, but she did her eyebrows too. And like I was talking to the ghoul girl, I feel like she's the kind of method actress that probably also grew out a full of full bush and dyed that blonde as well. Um, like a big, messy, late 1700s bush. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. just, you know, trimming trimming, and, and waxing down there wasn't, wasn't the norm. Um, oh, at least no. I like to, to, to hope that she did. You know, it's one of the few roles, though, that I've seen her in, in which I'm like, wow, she's kind of cute. I can see where people find her attractive. I never have, but, you know, I, I could see the, the, the inklings there in this film. Mm. And going into, like, we're not quite at the third act yet, but we're kind of going into it. Like I said earlier, this is where, like you had said, Ghoul, you know, the Headless Horseman story is small. There's only so much you could do with it. So this is what the writers had to do to kind of add a new element. So that's where Ichabod goes to the notary of the town to kind of investigate a little bit further into why these murders are happening. And then he kind of connects the dots because of uh, the first victim, which was uh, Peter Van Garrett, which is Martin Landau, by the way who plays Bela Lugosi and Ed Wood, and he's been in a ton of other movies. Mm. Um, but he had secretly married the widow who had died earlier, and he had wrote Carlos. a new will that left his... Fuck yeah. you! <laughs> yeah. But he had written a will that left his estate to the widow, so Ichabod kind of basically says all the beneficiaries or witnesses to this new will are being targeted for some reason by the horsemen, and that's why they're being picked off. So like I said, to me it, it kind of gets a little complicated. Like you kind of have to pay attention to, to what's going on to kind of understand the, the family trees of the Van Tassels and the Garrett's, you know, and, and kind of seeing how this town kind of connects dots. Um, the one thing that we didn't cover yet, and I kind of want to touch briefly is the flashbacks that Ichabod mm-hmm. has because he has these indentations on his hand and he doesn't know where they came from, but being in the town, he starts to have nightmares of when he was a kid and his mother, played by Lisa Marie, who was Elvira, and uh, not Elvira, uh, Vampira in Edwood. Fantastic, you know, seeing her in this movie. Was his mother, and she had been tortured by, I don't know if they ever even told you who he was. I might have missed Her it. husband. It was his father. It was her husband. Okay, yeah. Because I, I completely lost father. that he fact. Says, he says it was his father. Mm-hmm. And he had uh, hit his hand on, like, a torture device in this room that his mother was in. And I love that effect. She's in the Iron Maiden, and the fucking thing comes bursting open with blood and shit like that. I was like, that's a cool effect, a little nightmare sequence. But to me, I didn't need that. I felt like that was Tim Burton having family issues <laughs> with his parents. So it, you know, it was Tim Burton doing what he's done with other films. We saw him do this with Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. You know, he, yeah, uh, yeah. He's got family issues, if you ask me. You know, and... Again, it's he's filling in story. He's filling in things. You know, we he's introducing the witchcraft as being a part of Christina Ricci's character. We have to have our main character have some kind of affiliation to it, so that he's not completely, uh, you know, averted from it. Um, you know, his mother was a practicing witch, and mm-hmm. you know that's what the fundamentalist father. You know, I guess upon finding out. You know, with with all the trials going on and everything, decides that uh, that that mummy needs to be punished. Yes, 
Um, and, and he does it in such a way it's really cool. Um, and I, I like the sequence that comes up at the church where everybody in town is kind of gathering. But we also find out that uh, Lady Mary Van Tassel, which is Balthus's wife, is having an affair. And in a weird way, cutting herself during sex. So I'm like, okay, that's what she likes to do. Cut her hand open, put a little blood in her lover's back while they're getting it on in the woods. Yeah. It's you funny, know. actually, like during that scene, because it just, it seemed like it was like out of place, you know, mm-hmm. like he's following her and she's going and she's, she's banging this dude and like she's cutting her hand and wiping the blood on him. And like my, I, I actually questioned the goo girl about it because I thought maybe it was like a, some kind of witch ritual. Like I was just automatically assuming she's a witch and like maybe there's, right. there's like a, a reason behind this, you know, like is this going to – like yeah, I'm thinking like the craft, you know, is this going to like mm-hmm. hold him to her? Yeah. Like, you know, is, she, is he going to become like her thrall or something? Is this how she's right. controlling certain things? So, so yeah, it was, a, uh, it was an odd one. And, you know, obviously it'll come back later in the film, but – yeah, I mean, I saw I didn't it, pick up. I didn't know why. I didn't know either. I, I was like, it's so random. I was like, okay. I mean, it's, obviously it's going to pay off at some point. Um, but when we get to the church um, and the horseman, which I love the fact that he can't get into the church because it's sacred ground, he can't cross over. So he's running his horse around the perimeter of the church. Everybody is on the inside shooting at him, you know, hitting him, but it's doing nothing because he can't be killed with his bullets. You know, they're all well, and see, I, going fucking crazy. I don't think it's that it's sacred ground. I don't think that had anything to do with it. I think it was because okay, Christina right. Ricci was putting down that emblem of protection uh, again. We find out later that yeah. that evil eye is actually, you know, a, a, a witch spell for protection. Mm. And she was busy drawing that on the ground with chalk at the time that the horseman was trying to attack. And I think that's what was preventing him from getting inside. That's a good point. I didn't think of that until now. I mean, I thought that she had put that line down to protect everybody after the horseman came, you know, after the horseman was already there, she started drawing it. So I figured now, you know, that'll protect everybody in the church, but it's not because people are going fucking crazy where Baltus is turning against Lancaster. He's turning against Steenwick. You know, they're all having their own little fucking arguments. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> when Seawick gets killed by Baltus's gun and his wig flies off, and you're like, wow, look at that mane of hair. Seawick <laughs> 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 has been keeping under this very fucking posh wig that he has. And it pays mm-hmm. off because I was like, wait a second. There's got to be a reason why they're showing the fact that he had that wig on and it was just his hair underneath. It, it's going to pay off, right? Oh, it did. Well, you know, it actually did. But that, you know, it's going into the third act of the movie. But what did you think about the whole church thing? Especially when Balthus gets killed with that spike. For, you know, I, I loved it. <laughs> right uh-huh. that church window. Yeah. It was a very chaotic <laughs> scene, you know. And it's, it's something that, like, you know, I don't know. It's one of those where it's just eerily realistic in the way the panic happens. You know, it's how I picture yeah. when if like, you know, God forbid you were ever in an enclosed area, you know, like I hate to bring up like, you know, certain events that have occurred recently, but, you know, like things like school shootings and stuff like that. Yeah. Yep. You know, you put a bunch of people in a small area and then you, you unleash some kind of, of uncontrollable chaos. You know, I thought they, they did a good job uh, of sewing that and, 
you know, and then showing it as well, while still keeping the narrative in place, you know, as we're watching, you know, the certain characters interact, and you find people thinking that things are going on, and that they're getting revealed, and, you know, what we know is that they're actually completely in the wrong path, you know, they're, they're not mm-hmm. going down the right alley for this, they're, they're finding pieces of it, bits and pieces of it, but there is somebody else completely pulling the strings, who we, at this point, believe was killed. Because you right. know, Baltus came running in the first place, saying that his his wife, uh, Christina Ricci's stepmother, had been murdered by the uh, by the horseman. Yeah, Lady Mary Van Tassel, which you know he screams about that, and that's eventually when he gets killed. You go after the church attack when Ichabod is getting ready to leave town, thinking that everything's kind of just done, um, and then he realizes that the body being loaded into the morgue isn't the body that he thought it was. It wasn't Lady Van Tassel because he watched her cut her hand open and it just wasn't something gelling. And he discovers that Lady Van Tassel is the villain of this piece. She's the one that roused the horseman. But this is what I didn't like about the movie is because you have um, this kind of weird James Bond sequence where the villain kind of reveals their grand plan. And I was like, oh, God. Like, you know, it's Mm -hmm. a lot of exposition with Katrina being kidnapped into this windmill and Lady Mary Van Tassel kind of exposing her grand plan of everything. And this is why I did this. And this is why I did that. And this is like, I was like, All right. okay, Bond villain. I mean, I don't know what you thought about yeah. that. I was like that. A lot of information dump going into this like, I, you know, I, final moment. I also just thought it was one of those weird ones where as he sees the bot, like he's in the carriage leaving. Mm-hmm. And at this point, he actually believes that Katrina was the person that was doing everything. Right. Um, and that it wasn't her father. And, you know, obviously again, you know, the, the stepmother is supposed to be dead, but he's going to leave well enough alone. As far as he's concerned, you know, she is now going to be the sole beneficiary of everything. Um, right. All the attacks and everything should stop. So, you know, he's just going to just go and hightail it, which I think, you know, as Constable, you know, it's it's weird. They do one of those things with this film, and this is, like, the stuff that I think that Burton doesn't do well. Like, the idea mm-hmm. is that he's supposed to be building, like, this, this love and this romance between these two characters, and, and it's never work. done it doesn't work. It's like, they've only interacted like three times in the film. And it's like, by the second time, you know, he's supposed to be smitten with her. She's supposed to be smitten with him. And like, they've barely exchanged like three words of dialogue, you know, and they didn't show any chemistry on screen between them at all either. Um, no, you know, I just, I just think that that sucked. And what I felt, what I felt like they were trying to do is they were trying to recreate the chemistry that we felt between Depp and Ryder from Edward Scissorhands. And he was trying right, to do it all natural. over again with Ricci and Depp, and it just didn't fit for some reason. Um, but regardless, again, you know, like, uh, so he's leaving, and he happens to look out the window, and like you said, the body's getting loaded, you know, into the morgue. He sees the hand, and the hand's got the cut on it. But from that distance, and, you know, he has the wherewithal at this point to sit there and think about the fact that, oh, that hand looks like it was cut, fry, uh, you know, after it was, it was killed. Yep. And then it was like, okay, here we go. You know, and then like you said, there we do get the Bond villain-esque type exposition going on as the stepmother reveals herself to be the grand It was villainess. a lot. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that was a lot to take in. 
when Lady Mary Van Tassel is giving away her master plan about how she used blackmail and seduction, like how she seduced Steen Wick in the woods, and that's who she's having sex with that Johnny Depp sees, and how she mm-hmm. you know, blackmailed the doctor, and how she got the, the notary to kill himself. Like, it's a lot to dig in. <laughs> which is which is funny because the the makeout session with the doctor is something that we saw earlier in yeah. the film when mm-hmm. Depp was walking in. They were off to the side, and you can only see the hair. You know, you can only see his like the the shape of his hair. And you know, the funny thing is right. though is that even when I saw it later, I never even thought about it until they reshowed that scene again, and then I was like, oh, <laughs> look at that. So I, I am looking forward to revisiting the movie again to see what the yeah. clues were that were, were put into place, you know, from the start. Well, and, and including the fact that Lady Mary Van Tassel killed her sister, who was, she reveals at the site of the Headless Horseman, you know, is that Lady Mary Van Tassel is the one that snapped the twig, which is what led the soldiers yes. to kill the Headless Horseman. You know, and she was the one that did that, and then she had to take care of her sister in the cave because the sister had worked with Ichabod and revealed clues that could reveal her as the one that roused the Headless Horseman from the grave. So it was a lot to take in. <laughs> I was like, all right. This, so we've now, got the sister was – what's her name, right? Um, the one that uh, – that, that... God, my brain's fucking – the one that she burned the with. No, yeah. I know the sister. No, 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 the, that's the not, no, that's not Helena Bottom Carter. No. Oh, no. okay. I, thought, I, I, I don't think he was with was, her yet. You don't really, you don't see her all that clearly, so. No, they show her getting beheaded, and it definitely mm-hmm. wasn't uh, Helena Bottom Carter. Because um, I was wondering that, too. I was like, well, Helena Bottom Carter, that's his wife. He puts her in everything. But, no, it, it wasn't, I don't know if they were together yet, but it wasn't her. Um, but I like the fact that as this is all coming together, Ichabod is arriving with his boy, Steed, you know, and going to put a stop to this whole thing. And they realize that she has the skull of the Headless Horseman. And so if you want to put an end to this, give him his skull. Give him his head back. Like, I love that it's, that's the way to kind of end the Headless Horseman's reign of terror in Sleepy Hollow. <laughs> give him his head back, which is what he wants. And I don't know about you, but I love the effect of when Ichabod gives him the skull and it gets on his fucking shoulders, and they have that great kind of showing you the reverse kind of angle of the flesh and the blood and the tissue and his eyes fucking bulging out like Large Marge in Pee Wee's mm-hmm. Big Adventure. It was such a good effect. I, I love the fact that they took their time with that. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed it as well. And the fact that once the Headless Horseman is back together again with his head, the first thing he does is go after Lady Mary Van Tassel because he realizes that she's the one that did this whole thing, so he's going to fucking make out with her and take her right back to hell. That's perfect ending for that character. <laughs> you know, that bloody kiss that they have. Mm-hmm. Yes, he is going to take her to hell, and uh, and that's that, man. But yes, I did. I and the hand sticking out of the tree, too. I thought it's I liked walking, it. Walking, walking, you know. It's just, he, laid, he plants that on her. And it's just, you know, I, you almost wonder if the actress knew that that was coming, you know? Oh, she looked like she didn't know what was happening. <laughs> her reaction looked genuine. Like, she didn't know that he was going to plant a big kiss on her. You know, when he lets that kiss go and he's, his mouth is covered in blood, her mouth is covered in blood. It's, you know, again, he says nothing in this entire movie. He just goes, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's it. I was like, man, 
I was hoping that he would have like one line of dialogue, like "Thank you, Ichabod" or something like that. Nope, you don't need it. Looking back, you don't need him to say anything. You just need him to yell a lot. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. I'm actually trying to look up right now who played the crone, and she is not listed at all. Really? The crone isn't listed at all? No. No, you have the huh. actress who plays the young crone listed in your right. IMDb credits, but right. no, nothing is listed as who plays the actual crone. So I wonder if they're telling a bottom Carter because she kind of looked like I don't like think her. so. Yeah, maybe. Maybe she was uncredited. It's possible. Um, but what I thought was interesting is I went on Wikipedia to look up some trivia for the movie, and Christopher Walken's character is also credited as Ray Park for some reason. You know, the headless horseman, a.k.a. Ray Park. I was like, I don't remember them ever saying his name. I just remember him calling him the headless horseman. It doesn't say, sound like a very uh, Hessian name either. No, Ray Park? <laughs> yeah. Hi, Ray Park. How you doing? Hessian. How you doing? <laughs> it doesn't sound like a very Hessian name. It's just, it's weird. Oh. It's... Actually, okay. So okay. it's not listed in IMDb, but it is on Wikipedia. Miranda Richardson actually played both characters. I see that, and I'm looking at it too. I'm looking at that page, and it does say Crone Witch. So she played both characters. So it wasn't uh, Helena Bonham Carter, which would have been nice if she was uncredited. But like I said, I don't know if they were together oh, no. in 99. No, no. Christopher Walken didn't play Ray Park. Ray Park did the stunts. Ray Park is the actor that also did uh, the stunts for uh, oh. Darth Maul in Star Wars. Okay. So I thought that uh, was you know, his name. I was like, that's weird. So he was doing Ray the fighting Park. sequences. He was doing the fighting sequences for. Okay, for it makes Walken. a hell of a lot more sense than me saying that. The person's name is Ray Park. <laughs> so yeah. walking, but, walking, we can we know can dance, but he obviously can't fight. No, it, it was great. Um, but I, I do, like I said, I love that that aspect. He brings her back to hell. You have the hand sticking out of the tree, and you have Ichabod passing out. Right, <laughs> mm-hmm. this is just way too much for him to take. And he immediately passes out. But when he wakes up, he's in a carriage, and they're going to New York City. Him and, and Mazbeth, young Mazbeth and, and Katrina are going to New York City to ring in 1800, the new century, and living together, you know, in, in, in bliss, which is, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I felt like a good ending, that's fine, but, yeah, I didn't need it. I didn't need to have that little expedition sequence. It was a happily ever, you know, happily ever after type of ending. You know, the one thing that I found disappointing with, you know, the character in particular in the film is the fact that, you know, he had all of these these scientific things, and ultimately the only thing that we ever see him use is the magnifying glass. You know, and I really wish, yeah, I really wish they would have worked a little bit more of him being ahead of his time, similar to, to his character in From Hell. You know, I felt like mm-hmm. that character kind of was like that as well. He was starting to use forensic type of evidence during a time in which it wasn't being used yet, you know? And I, I kind of, maybe, maybe that's what I was kind of assuming this film was going to do, and it didn't, so... Well, yeah, and From Hell was a movie that I would love to bring on the show. 
like one of these days, like once we've, we've covered mm-hmm. a couple more episodes, I would love to cover From Hell because that's probably one of my favorite Johnny Depp movies because it's covering Jack the Ripper. It's a great period piece. I mean, there, there's some casting I don't like, like Cameron Diaz, but um, you get the giant from Harry Potter playing his, his partner, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and Hagrid, you know, playing the, the, the partner. Good old, um, and he's good old Robbie Coltrane, man. And he's addicted to opioids in the movie. And it has a, a great bummer kind of ending, too. And I love movies that end unhappily. I mean, I've always felt that way about horror movies. I don't like when a movie is just, you get a nice, neat little bow on these movies. And, and Sleepy Hollow has that. And it needed to have that, Sleepy Hollow. You have to have that kind of an ending. Where, hey, we're in New York, we're having a good time. All right, let's ring in 1800. I, I, I'm fine with that. But when I watch a horror movie, I like the movies that end badly, where it has a sad, just like, this is fucked up kind of an ending. Well, again, no matter what, though, we got to remember that this is, you know, it's a Burton film. And if you look at his films, you know, even they might end in a sad way when you look at something like, you know, Edward Scissorhands or, you know, even like Beetlejuice to a degree, you know, they're still dead. (laughs) You know, there's nothing that's going to stop that from (laughs) happening. But they can at least look at the bright side of it, Um, you know, and look at Edward Scissorhands. You know, he's still alive, but he's going to be alone in the house for the rest of his life. Um, See, I completely forgot about that ending. For everybody. I was going to ask you about that because I don't remember the ending of Edward Scissorhands for the life of me. Does he go back to the castle he had with uh, Vincent Price? Yeah, they, I can't they run them back off. And then, you know, every time, like, the idea, I guess, is that every time it snows, it's Edward carving up fucking ice things um, okay. up there for the, for, for the world, I guess. I don't yeah, know. See, I, I, completely <laughs> I haven't seen, I haven't seen that movie that in ages, man. Yeah, I'm saying, I couldn't remember how that movie ended. I was trying to think of it when you were talking about how his movies end. And like Beetlejuice, yeah, they're dead, but it was such a happy ending, though. And Jeffrey Jones again, he's in Beetlejuice. So we're talking about Jeffrey Jones again. <laughs> you know, but it's like a happy <laughs> ending. It's like, you know, they're there. But, you know, the dead get to live in the house, and you have Winona Ryder dancing to Shake Shake Senora, <laughs> you know, Senora, you know, happily with the football w- player. So it's kind of a happy ending. I wonder why he didn't bring Winona Ryder into this film. You know, like this <laughs> this would have yeah. made sense for her to have been in another film of his, you know. It just uh, it was an odd, uh, I think, but regardless. Well, I know that there was controversy uh, with uh, Richie and Depp on the set because Depp was married at the time. And a lot of people were thinking that Richie and him were having an affair. I remember that being mm. a big thing during the, 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 uh, the filming and Depp was like, no, not at all. Like, what are you kidding me? Like, she's too young. Like, no, <laughs> you know, you know, I, I have no interest in her other than that. And it shows like you had said, the romance between Ichabod Crane and Katrina, it shows like there's no chemistry between these two characters at all. Mm. And you know, it, it feels forced. When she has to kiss him and things like that, it's like, yeah, you know, it doesn't feel natural. It doesn't feel like it's good. It's like, yeah, you have to do this to catch your character. Yeah, definitely. But, uh, but yeah, so again, we get, our, we get our happy ending, and, yeah, I found it to be enjoyable. I picked it up on, uh, you know, I didn't have it, and, yeah, I, I think it's on Stars or something, but I, I got it on Xbox, and uh, it was actually a two-pack. It gave me uh, Sleepy Hollow and the uh, – uh, the Barber film. Oh, uh, Sweeney Todd. Yes. Yes. Okay, so that's a good one, too. I mean, that's definitely Helen of Bottom Carter. So, 
there's no question she's in that movie. <laughs> but that's like, you know, Depp as his deppiest, you know, in Sweeney Todd. I like that movie a lot, so I hope you watch it. Uh, Alan Rickman is really good in that. As of course. Villain, you know, so. Oh, uh, nice. Really good in that action. I mean, it's a, one of the yeah, one of the parents you were trick or treating with tonight. Uh, he was he was dressed as Snape. You know he went full on Snape. <laughs> uh, you know you dude went he went full character man. This guy normally sports a full stash. He shaved his mustache mm-hmm. and everything. Oh, you know? wow. I was like, he's, he's like he's like this is the first time my kids have seen me without a mustache. He's like this is the first time my <laughs> wife has seen me without a mustache. Wow, that's it's, that's really dedication. You know, but yeah, I mean Alan Rickman. Yeah, if you like Alan Rickman. You'll like uh, Sweeney Todd. Rest in peace, man. Uh, I love There's Alan musical Rickman, numbers. Man. Letting you know now about Sweeney Todd. There's musical numbers, you know, but uh, other than that, it's, it's a solid, gory kind of film that I, I still go back to. And I was thinking about it, too, like closing out. This movie is in 1999, and Helen Von Carter was in Fight Club the same year. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of wondering if they were together at that point, you know, or if they had gotten together afterwards. You know, after or Fight Club and everything like that. So I have to look that up. See when uh, Burton and uh, Helen Bonham Carter got together. Indeed. <laughs> so next week, folks. Uh, I don't know, Ghoul. I had asked the doc if it was his turn. I think it's his turn next week. I don't think it's Monkey. I know we've been kind of yeah, talking I mean, with the picks. I know our, our, yeah, it's been all over the place because of order, but I would think that, you know, if it was my pick this week and then if everybody's returning next week, then we just flow right back into order. So that would put it into the doctor's pick, which makes sense okay, too. So yeah. The doctor hasn't had a pick in a couple of weeks. Monkey at Transylvania 6-5,000. So. Right. So I, I assume it is a doc, and I put it out to him earlier on our Facebook group chat to pick something. So I'll remind him again. Uh, you know, this weekend to pick something so we know what he's going to pick, and I could put the announcement up on, on uh, Monday. So we don't have something for you to announce tonight. So we'll have something on Monday, hopefully, to put on the Facebook page. But uh, thank you so much, guys, for listening in. Uh, this was a Halloween extravaganza. Hope you guys had a good time listening to our talk about Sleepy Hollow and everything like that. Uh, as I close out real quick, uh, Anthony D.P. Mann, who has been on the show before, he is one of the co- uh, co-hosts of the former Horror Etc. podcast. Uh, great guy. If it wasn't for him, I probably wouldn't have gotten the balls to start talking terror. He had some medical issues recently, you know, with uh, some blockage of the heart. He's doing okay now, but I told him I was going to give him a shout-out. Uh, I love you, Anthony. I hope you get better soon, sir. And I look forward to you coming back on the show and being better than ever. Feel better, Anthony, double penetrating, man. There you go. You would love it. Um, but, yeah, so why don't you give us a plug as we close out, Cole? Hey, you know, again, Halloween is over, but Christmas is right around the corner for everybody. So get on over to Bonfire Beat Designs. You know, I know I was sporting my uh, my Jason Voorhees ring tonight. Um you know, just to, to celebrate Halloween a little bit, but there are all kinds of things, you know, do you have family members that are into horror films and, and scary things or spiritual jewelry and stuff? Check it out. She's got all kinds of things up on the Etsy page. Uh, it's all one word, bonfire beat designs. And uh, that's it. I'm not going to have any jokes or gags for it. Okay. All right. Want to end it the way that you do go. And once again, thank you so much for joining me tonight. It was a great Halloween episode, and I'm always good to do these shows, just me and you. Sometimes it's fun, man. I have a good time doing the old school way. 
Of course, man. A little old school talking terror, baby. Stay scared, everybody. Stay scared. Keep America strong. Keep watching horror movies. Enjoy that candy. Get ready for the onslaught of Christmas shit. I know I'm not looking forward to it, but you got to deal with it. So just enjoy the Halloween movies. Enjoy the candy. Enjoy all the revelry that you can. We will see you next week. Have a great weekend. Have a great half a week. See you next time, folks. Talking Sarah forever. <laughs>